warning. What you are about to hear is a really loud Catholic dude. After all, he ain't called the Forte Catholic for nothing. So relax your grip on the steering wheel. Pull your headphones away ever so slightly. Secure any loose articles and muffle Junior's ears because it's time to make Catholicism fun again on the Forte Catholic Show with Taylor Schroll on Red Sea Catholic Radio. Galactic Studios today, and I am joined by the man who looks more like me every single day, the wonderful, the beloved, Jonathan Bearded Blevins, everybody. How are you, John? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Taylor? Oh, I'm just phenomenal. So... Are you saying I'm muscular? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you've become... Ripped. You've been working out, uh, and everyone knows that I'm just the, the model of muscular activity. Uh, but you, my friend, I challenged you a while ago, and I didn't think you'd actually do it on all your fitness goals. And I saw a tweet yesterday that you have lost quite a bit of weight. Congratulations, buddy. Thank you, man. Thank you. And to be to be honest, I would have I'd probably be down almost double that if I didn't have as many cheat days as I've had over the last few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> like I was in Arizona for five days and I was like, I mean, my dad's an awesome cook. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going well. It's crazy. I, I'm just cutting calories and exercising. So it's amazing how that works, huh? <laughs> right? Make it so complicated. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but the one, the one thing that, uh, like you, you and I, we have the beard, we have the large white man thing going for us. But yeah. I, I just noticed for the first time, John, like literally for the first time, I'm going to ask you a question, and I need you to answer answer me truthfully. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Are you like me? Do you wear hats? so often to cover up the beginnings of your male pattern baldness. Okay. <laughs> in all honesty, no. Uh, you, you can see here, and I don't know if this is, if your extra subscribers can see, but this has been <laughs> about the same for 10 years. And he's, and he's like, pointing, he's, he's showing me the, the top of his forehead. That's become a five head. What is that called? What is that called? Your five what is this area. Your five head. Okay. So my five head's been about that way for 10 years. And then, and then the top of my head that's that like a lot of people are losing their hair on has been th thin like that for like a few years. So I don't think it's getting worse. Um, but the hat helps. And so when I do lose it all, I am just going to go the tailor approach, shave everything, bigger beard and a hat. All the time. <laughs> like, honestly, I've never noticed the top because like, why would I ever yeah. look at the top of yep. your head? But you yep. like looked down to go help your son before we recorded. And I was like, wow. I always thought John was better than me, and apparently he's not. <laughs> nope, I'm not. And I've made fun of my next-door neighbor my whole entire life for being bald. Like, we ridiculed him day in and day out for my whole entire childhood. And he always said, one day you're going to be bald, and I'm going to laugh. And it's happening. There are two punishments for that. One, you become bald quicker than you should have. Or two, <laughs> you get attacked by she-bears the, the biblical way. So kill 71 other of us. <laughs> so that's awesome. Well, everybody, welcome in to Forte Catholic. We were all about making Catholicism fun again. And John, I hadn't like talked about what the, the whole point of the show in a while. Like we just want to bring joy back into the faith. 
And I got into this argument on Twitter the other day because that never Ooh. happens, right? Ooh, I'm so listening. My, uh, I got into many arguments. So this is the one. Uh, somebody was essentially saying that, like, joy isn't allowed in mass. Like, that's not what mass is for. It's solely for mm. worship. And it's like, okay, like, I, I understand that it's solely for worship, but I vehemently disagreed that joy is not allow allowed or, like, we shouldn't be seeking that in mass. Yeah. And... Ironically enough, I'm in this discussion, and then I go to daily mass, and I love the Psalms so much. So the Psalms not only helped me feel like I'm like they made me feel affirmed, but they also helped me, at least in my mind, win an argument. Because in Psalm 100, <laughs> like John, I know you have it memorized, but yeah. just in case, I'll I'll just go ahead and say it for our listeners who aren't thank as you, smart as you. you. Um, so it says, come with joy into the presence of the Lord. Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. So yeah, joy is definitely not allowed in the Catholic Church, for <laughs> sure. Uh, I just wanted, no to, joy. I just wanted to, to point that out. But no, we're all about uh, bringing joy not only in our worship that this is talking about, but just bringing joy into our normal, everyday lives. And then I hope that this show can bring some joy to you. As well. Uh, speaking of joy, you had very little yesterday. <laughs> well, I had a lot of joy for three and a half quarters. I mean, it, it was amazing watching. I'm a huge Lions fan. What can we talk about this for a second? I'm very excited. Absolutely. Let's do it. So my brother, I always host opening day at my house. It's like always the week before every ministry kicks off. And so like I get to watch a lot of games throughout the year, but not the way I'd like to. I don't get to have a, a drink or anything because I've got work later. And so opening day is always has always been a huge deal in my family, my immediate family. And this year, Tyler's like, I'm going to host it at my house and I'm going to get a private chef to cook appetizers for us all day. And I was like, what is life? And so we had food all day long, just incredible like food coming out. And then the Lions destroyed for three and a half quarters. And really, even in the fourth quarter in overtime, still played better, arguably, than Arizona did and ended up tying like in the, in the most Detroit Lions way ever, where they make up a brand new rule or something happens that you know, the NFL will address with the entire league later, which is the <laughs> offensive coordinator calling a timeout when they're not allowed to call a timeout. Only the head coach can and only the quarterback can. And so it's just, it's insane. And they, they lost, and but they didn't lose. They tied. And so I'm very melancholy today. I don't know how to feel. I feel sad because we lost, and but we're, we tied. And, and then I'm like, oh, we're okay, though. A tie's better than a loss. And then I'm happy for like two seconds. So like on paper, I agree with you that a tie is better than a loss. But yeah. as a fan, like... I, it hurts more because it's not a win, and I just essentially wasted three and a half hours of my life. It's like we're in yeah. the same position that we were when we started today, and we did like all like seventy-two men just beat each other up for absolutely no reason on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> yep, yep, and, and all my screaming and my high fiving and my funny exaggerated lines of the best team ever all was for nothing. Exactly. So <laughs> we, you and I have like just kind of gently poked fun at each other for our NFL stuff because like, you know, my, my Texans, I mean, obviously they're better than the Lions over the last False. few years, but they're not. No, I mean, just just look at just look at the data. I mean, we've been to the playoffs in the last 10 years, but, you know, so have we we've been the past three times in the last five years, Taylor. We just haven't won a playoff game. You, I'm actually, I cannot remember the Detroit Lions being in the playoffs. That's actually news to me. I'm actually proud. Yeah, in the last 10 years, at least three times, maybe, maybe even four. But yeah, yeah, we lost to the Cowboys. We lost to the Seahawks a couple years ago. It's always embarrassing. It's all, and it always starts with the <laughs> we lost, which is fantastic. Yes. But uh, 
I, I love the NFL. It, it was opening weekend uh, this mm. weekend. Like, I'm extremely blessed that my wife is a huge sports fan. Like, she's in our fantasy football league. Like, I know that you are in a league, and I'm very jealous of all the people that are in that league because it's a lot of my friends, and I wasn't invited. <laughs> it didn't hurt at all. Um, but, like, this fantasy league that I've been in for, for many years, my wife's also been in for many years. And my wife actually won our fantasy league last year. Like, she's super into the NFL. So, uh, you know, all these guys who have been around football our entire lives, and my wife just comes in and, and steals the money and steals the show. So. <laughs> Um, we, we've poked you and I have poked fun at each other a little bit for the Lions and the Texans and our other you know sports teams and everything. But I was totally with you on Sunday because the Lions were winning and I bet the under on that game. So which, <laughs> which if people don't know, it's like there's a certain amount of points and you bet are the, is the, are both teams' totals going to be under this or over this? And the Cardinals just stormed back, scored 18 points in the fourth quarter, and not only ruined your day, I'm not even a fan of the Lions, and they ruined my <laughs> day too. So I don't think I'm ever going to bet on a game involving the Lions unless it's on them to lose. That's I think that's my new rule. Yeah, don't, because as soon as you – even that, though, you bet on them to lose. Last year, I think someone said when, around the time that it happened that they were playing the Patriots at home last year, and they lost to the Jets opening day to a rookie QB, and everyone's like, the Lions are a dumpster fire. Matt Patricia doesn't know what he's doing. And so tons of people put money on the Lions to, to lose to the Patriots, and then they beat the Patriots. See, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that's actually crazy because there, there's, like, something about bouncing back, right? Like, I'll actually bet pretty often in football season on a team that got blown out last week to come yeah. back and to cover or at least win uh, throughout the week. So we'll, we'll talk about betting at, a, at another time. But uh, <laughs> this is so fun. Uh, we, we do need to talk about it because uh, maybe we'll talk about it next week because uh, it's so often that people are like, oh, you can't bet on things as a Catholic. And it's like, actually, read your catechism. That's a, that's a tease for a show in the future. But uh, uh, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to tie these two things together because uh, I was, ironically enough, on Saturday, we went we, – my family and I, my wife, my three kids, traveled to Houston to meet my parents and my middle, my middle sister because her birthday was actually Sunday, but we celebrated yeah. on Saturday. So we, we drove there, uh, had lunch by the pool. They, they were in a hotel, lunch by the pool, hung out by the pool for hours. Like me and my son are extremely sunburned, uh, but it was just a great day. And like my son's become a huge football fan because both of his parents are. So, like, we'll sit there and watch the game. We were watching some of the college games. And my, my dad was there, and we, we just kind of got to talking. And my daughter loves to play with this scar that I have on my hand. So we're all okay. sitting there. Me, my dad, my son, and my sister watching football. She's falling asleep and playing with this. With this I mean, it's a pretty large scar on the palm of my hand. Okay. And – my dad and I start laughing about it because he's like, oh, I saw her playing with that earlier. And I was like, yeah, because like my dad was there when this scar happened. I was a young man. I was maybe like preteens, 10 to 12, somewhere in there. And I was yeah. driving a golf cart. And you know how like if you're going to do a tur- As 10-year-olds do. Uh, yes, yeah, 10-year-olds <laughs> do. Yes, I was, I'm, I've been very grown up for many years. So – uh, I'm driving this golf cart. And you know how, like, if you're going to do a turnaround in a golf cart, like, you need like you need to make a wide turn. So most time at golf yeah. courses, it's like a U-shape, right? Well, yeah. this golf course was cheap. And the U-shape, instead of a U-shape, it was 90-degree turns. So I make the first turn where you have to kind of go in the grass to make the turn because you literally cannot make that turn on the concrete alone. On, con- on concrete alone, my <laughs> hope is found. Um, but so I make the second turn. 
and there's water like in that turn. So we start spinning out, like literally okay. doing accidental donuts in this thing. And I, we're not moving all that fast, but we're spinning fast, if that makes sense. Yep. You know, like we're not mo- careening forward. So I see this metal pole outside and I think it's a good idea to be like, hey, let me grab this metal pole and I'll just like kind of stop us from spinning. What I yeah. didn't know is that the top of that metal pole was very, very sharp. <laughs> so this this scar that I have in my hand, I'll post a picture of it for people that are listening. Um, it, it is like it looks like the Nike check, and my yeah. hand wasn't moving, but my body was moving. So instead of like slicing straight, it sliced in this curve, and I looked down, and for the first time in my life, I saw my bones. <laughs> So there's this whole like fight or flight mentality that people have, right? I'll give you one guess as to what my first move is from when I, we stopped. I grabbed that thing. It sliced my hand open. What do you think I dig next? Young Taylor with hair, John. (laughs) Young Taylor with hair next. He, he ran to get help or he froze and tried to cover it with his shirt. Those are, my, those are my guesses. So you were almost right on your first one, except I ran away from help. My dad was in the golf cart with me. I sliced <laughs> no. my hand. I looked down, see my bones, and I just sprint. I just run. I don't know where I'm going. I just I, <laughs> I sprint the length of a par three on the golf course, and my dad's just looking at me, and he ends up like jogging after me. He's like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, literally, my help is literally right there. Like, the guy who's going to, you know, like, I'm too young to know, like, oh, I need to put pressure on it, hold it down, put a band, you know, put, like, wrap a shirt around it or whatever, and let's go to the hospital. I'm just sprinting. I don't know what's going on. My dad finally catches up to me, does all of the adult things. Put, puts pressure on it, takes off one of his, you know, his outer shirt, wraps it around my hands, covered in blood, and he says, "We're going to the, we're going to the ER." So we go to the ER, right? So we all have this fight or flight mentality in, and I think we have it with different situations. Like in some situations, we're going to fight for something. Uh, in other situations, it's smarter to flee. So, like in your general life scenarios, John, uh, yeah. are, are you? Do you lean more towards the fight, the fight or the flight mentality? Hmm. I think that lately in the last few years, like the last two or three years, I've been more of a fighter um, for the people that I love like really well. So like my family or fighting for my family's time and ministry, that's really important. Um, or fighting for my staff and the people that work for me to make sure that they're being healthy and that they are taking breaks. But I think that with my own personal life, like I'm taking care of myself, uh, more flight. So like running away from stress, praying less when I'm stressed, all those kind of things. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you because like I think when I was growing up because I was 100% testosterone and like just like working (laughs) out all the time, like I think that fight came more naturally to me. And then it was easier for me to apply those things to my spiritual life. Like I used to fight like crazy for my spiritual life. I used to fight like crazy for like no girls that I was friends with ever dated because I just had this eminence of like you shall not touch these people, you know, like, I, like I was, I was a fighter, but like over the years, as I've kind of gotten beat, beaten down, I'll do kind of what you were saying. Like I'll fight on behalf of other people, but instead of like coming back and trying to receive healing or res- like to take some time to rest, I end up fleeing from my time with God in the, in, yeah. in the situations that I'm fighting. I'm all, I'm also 
fleeing, right? And so, like, I had this crazy image as we're sitting there in this hotel watching football with three generations of strolls of, like, like just what I did when I was 10 years old in fleeing from literally the only person that could help me in that moment. I just yeah. ran ran away from him. It's like, why, why, why did I flee? Like, that's it's stupid. It, it was so stupid for 10 to 12-year-old Taylor to do that. Like, it just literally made no sense. And I finally came to my senses, and we went, I went back to my literal father and came back. And it's like, I've been reminded of that a lot because, like, last week for me, like, I had been on a, like, six-week, like, let's do it spiritually. Like, probably better than I've been in a long time. And then over the course of, like, the last seven to ten days, just, like, the stress piled up. Like, work things piled up. And I was just like, I'm doing all these things. I'm fighting at work. I'm fighting uh for these people, but then like internally and like when I went home, I'm just fleeing from all of that fighting. Yeah. And, and, and I never actually got that rest and I wasn't taking care of myself. Amen. I'm right there with you, dude. I think it might be reading too much into this, but like, I think that when you, when you were a kid, like you were, were embarrassed. Like, so you got hurt. You don't, you, you're embarrassed for however it happened. And so you just run. And the same thing can happen like in our, in our faith life. Like, we know better. We know what we should be doing, what sins we shouldn't be committing. And so often all of them, John, like, yeah. all of the sins. <laughs> right. well, yeah. But you know, the ones we struggle with. And it's just like, instead we're, we're just like, Oh, we should know this. Like we're, I'm embarrassed. And then we flight and instead of, of taking it to, to the father, that's a dude, you got me pondering. Well, now you have me pondering. I, I just told the whole story thinking I had a point and you had a better one. <laughs> <laughs> Make Catholicism sad and thoughtful again. Well, what a what a bookend to this segment that we've had here. So, um, yeah, I, I think it it is that it wasn't one of those things that I had like solved this thing within me, but I just wanted to bring it up. And uh, I think I'm going to go pray with it. And apparently, you are too. And I hope uh, I hope some other people will too, because it's fun as we want to have around here. We do want to you to grow in your spiritual life and. Uh, we're going to do that in our next segment with Katie Prejean McGrady, one of everyone's favorite people in the world. We're going to be talking about the, the great book and movie, Ready Player One. Don't go the anywhere. <laughs> we will be right back. John, you said that you have to dress up for your new job. Uh, how do you feel about that? You know, I do feel like a million bucks when I go to work, but it is obnoxious that it takes me a lot longer to get ready. See, I never really dress up, but when I do, my sock game has risen tremendously from because of my friends over at Sock Religious. Did I say Sock Religious? No, that's this show, but I did say Sock Religious. Have you ever tried <laughs> any of these socks, dude? I have not, but I'm literally looking them up right now because it sounds incredible. Well... They are amazing, and as you look them up right now, you can use the code FORTE and get a percentage off. I didn't pull up the information for this. I believe it's 10%, and you can help me feed my children by buying socks for your feet. FORTECatholic.com slash socks. Get all the coolest socks ever. John, I got myself in trouble on the internet the other day because I saw the new Joan of Arc socks, and I said these new Joan of Arc socks are fire, and I did not realize the connection. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> it was Please awesome. buy the socks, keep your feet warm, and feed Taylor's children. ForteCatholic.com slash socks. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. John, none of my co-hosts have figured out yet how to stop talking over intros and outros. 
And John, you yelled something at the end of the last segment uh, when I told you that Katie Prejean McGrady was coming on. Uh, you want to finish that thought before I muted you? I am so good at not talking during your intro and outro, but I had to make the joke. We're talking about The Office, right? The Office or Parks and Rec. Otherwise, I'm out. So Katie Prejean McGrady is joining us. Uh, Katie, first of all, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. My Dundee's behind me, so I'm feeling great. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> so you have this podcast called The Electric Waffle, where mostly you talk about The Office and Parks and Rec with a little bit of life and a little bit of Catholicism. Like, that's how I would describe the show. I have been binge listening to it over the last few weeks, and it always involves The Office and Parks and Rec. I love the show. And John, of course, assumed that that's what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> and instead, we're going to be talking about a completely different movie. <laughs> totally different. Totally awesome. different. Awesome. But I do yeah, have to I, ask I, this question. While we have her here, I just have to get her opinion on this. Which show between The Office and Parks and Rec has more emotional moments? People can't see this because it's a podcast, but I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> so The Office is objectively, I mean, it has two extra seasons, but those two extra seasons like eight and nine without Michael, I don't think have the same emotional oomph. Parks and Rec has happier moments. The office has greater character development that is more authentic to the human condition. Wow, that was deep. That was which, deep and which, quick. Well done. Which is why John he he likes the happy stuff more when it comes to real human emotion. John's like, nah, I don't want to wade into those waters. <laughs> yep, I don't yeah. cry. I don't cry anymore. No, I can't watch certain episodes of The Office without tearing up, which is strange. I've seen it about a dozen times all the way through, but it's just something about it's comfort food, right? Like if I eat my mom's spaghetti, I have an emotional reaction because it's the best spaghetti <laughs> in the world, even though we have no Italian in my family whatsoever. So like watching Pam and Jim get married, I'm just going to tear up. I'm just going to do it. So I think it depends also on your emotional attachment to the show. Got it. I love it. I love how you bring up mom's spaghetti because every time I hear mom's spaghetti, I think of a more physical reaction, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Katie, a podcast, here we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have been on the show before, but you've also not been on the show before. So you came on for a special, like it was just an interview with you to talk about Galentine's Day. That was back in February, obviously, um, because I was arguing with all of my lady friends and you wanted to help their argument. So, uh, but this is the first time like you're on the full show. You're on the radio glad oh this is the radio yeah. i thought this was just a- oh cool hi everybody <laughs> <laughs> hello world so essentially you were tweeting back and forth the other day and i started talking about ready player one you're like i'm actually rereading that book right now so i went back through my notes because i was like i know i've talked about this on the show and I, I figured I did a whole segment on it, right? You know, like, oh, here, look, typical Catholic podcast. I'm going to talk about something I love and then make a Catholic point in the last two minutes. And I realized that I actually didn't do that. I just did it. It was just in my, like, top five movies from last year, uh-huh. mostly because I liked the book. So I actually didn't talk about it all that much. So I'm excited uh, to talk about this book that I absolutely love. It's actually a book that I read. So, like, when I say it's one of my favorite books, it doesn't mean much because I haven't read many. But uh, <laughs> you have read this book. You love this those book. My, I said those are my favorites, and I moved to show you my shelves. Oh, good. I was like, are you... Are you just leaving? I thought you were leaving the no. show. No, no, no. I was trying to. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm not leaving everybody. So this is what's hilarious about this is that you just did something that was perfect. Because in the other two segments of today's show, John also mentioned something physical that no one else could see as they were, as they were listening. You so mean you're, my magic trick? <laughs> you're doing this perfectly. So uh, you are a fan of Ready Player One. Uh, we're going to talk about why. But first, if you were in the elevator and somebody asked you, 
What's that book you're holding? Ready Player One. What's that all about? What is this book for people who have never read the book or seen the movie? So a dystopian world, far scarier, I think, than anything we see in like the Hunger Games or even the Walking Dead. This dystopian world filled with poverty and lack of riches and just people don't have resources have become obsessed with a digital life. So imagine like The Sims meets Twitter meets Fortnite streaming full time. And like, depending on where you are in society depends on how much access you have to this digital world which I don't think is that far different than what we have right now. Um, And this young man down on his luck really doesn't have family or attachments to anything in this world, lives in this alternate reality kind of, you know, scraps along by the skin of his teeth. And because of his wealth of knowledge based off of living in this world, unlocks a key to this game to basically win this man's riches that created this oasis. And so it's just his journey and his adventure to, basically unlocking this big scavenger hunt and winning all this money and kind of how he grapples with this. And of course it's got romance and friendship and all these really cool eighties references that, I mean, if you like stranger things, you'll like ready player one because this did it first. Uh, (laughs) And it's just, it's a ride and it's fun. And I loved every second of reading it and watching it. The movie wasn't as great as the book, but the, the, it's pretty good. Amen. And amen. (laughs) So what is it about this book that you reading it as a Catholic, as a regular human being, as a woman? Like, what is it about reading this book that has made you come back to it? Well, I, so I bought it in an airport. I was, um, so I obsessively listened to a lot of secular podcasts, not just Catholic podcasts, just because like, I need to know what's going on in the world. Um, and one of my favorites is Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. And they did um, a, a look at the movie. And I was like, oh, I want to see the movie. And then I found out it was a book. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to buy the book next time I'm thinking about it. And I was in this airport and I saw it on the shelf and I was like, oh, I'm going to buy that. It's eight bucks. And I couldn't put it down. Like I read it on the trip. Like I was, I was the speaker that went and I gave a talk, went and had dinner with everybody, got back on the plane and like could not put the book down and was sad when I finished it, like distinctly felt like, no, this story can't be over. Like, is there a sequel? Is there more? Like, what else did this guy write with this character? Because I really fell in love with the characters. And I think that's what it was. The way Wade Watts was written, the relationship that develops between him and his friends, the way those friendships fracture, the competition element, the rallying together was very much, I, I just watched Avengers Endgame the other day. I was like, that's Ready Player One. Like, that's totally pulling on a trope. <laughs> and everybody shows back up. So I just, I think it, it's the hero's journey, but with all those really cool pop culture references and and with technology that like seems new agey but really isn't that far off from where we are right now and, and I just it's written well um, Ernest Klein I think is a phenomenal writer and storyteller and, and I just I'm a sucker for a good book even if it's sci-fi video games um, I, I think that that's a, a great genre and medium John she just shared why she loved it you told me before that you had a hot take on this movie slash book <laughs> uh, are you ready to share that now yeah, it isn't so much a hot take, is it? Because it really, I agree with with a lot of what Katie just said. I don't think we're actually, yeah, we're not far from it. We're not far from a world where people can unplug completely. And not just, you can do that now with, with games, but not just like that, like the VR part where you can like feel what the characters are feeling. And like those things exist right now. They're very expensive. And so most people don't have those in their home. But my hot take or my my like prediction is that everyone always talks about Fortnite and like when is Fortnite gonna die? When and the, and a game comes out like Apex or the new World of Warcraft classic thing, and for two weeks like it it beats Fortnite as far as people watching or playing or viewing, and then Fortnite does something really cool and comes right back because they have all the money in the world. And so when people say like John, when is Fortnite gonna die? I'm like it won't. Like it's gonna be the biggest game of all time until virtual reality becomes affordable and everyone can have that in their home. And when you can live Fortnite and feel what happens in it, 
I think that's going to be insane. And that is going to change like really the landscape of, of the world. And I think it's a, it brings up a huge morality question of like, could you ever even enter into a world like he does in Ready Player One? Why would you ever leave that world then? If you can feel everything and do everything that you, you could ever imagine in this in this digital world and it feels real and your brain even thinks it's real while you're in it, uh, should you ever even do it? Like, should you ever even put the VR you know thing on? It's crazy. So then we could talk a ton about this, but that's, those, that's my thought is it's not far off. And once it's affordable, it's going to be a huge moral question for us as Catholics to think about. Yeah, it's crazy. Like in the la- like, this book was written in 2011, so we're only eight years removed from this book, and I think we're eight years closer to this future that they're talking about. So essentially, with this oasis, the people's life across the world, really, life is so bad. The rich have become so rich that, and like, there's no middle class. You're either poor or you're like the absolute elite. And the majority of human beings, their life is terrible. So essentially, they are going to to check out because their life is so much better. Even if they're poor in the real world, it is harder to move through the Oasis, but you still get to have a better life. You get to look however you want. You get to, uh, for the most part, do whatever you want, especially if you have more money. Um, But even then, like your life is better in this virtual world. And like, they actually have to deal with that. It's like, essentially what most of these people are doing is taking care of their body, you know, working out some of them work out they try they go eat they go to the restroom and then they go right back into this oasis to where they're so totally focused on leveling up their player and experiencing all that all these great things that they will never be able to do in re, in the in real life but at at the expense of all the relationships they're making in the oasis all of the great things they're doing literally don't exist like they're missing out on those two very key elements of what it means to be human yeah, I, I was struck by the um, the scene when he walks into one of the cafes and like you can rent a pod to basically like lock yourself into like the old internet cafes that no longer exist anymore because now everybody has a laptop and you can just do your own thing in a Starbucks. And I was brought back to the scene from um, Inception when he walks into like all the people that are like under the influence of the dream drug and they like sleep 19 hours a day because they just want to live in this. And I, I, I think it shows kind of a brokenness of the human condition that we long to live in the false reality that we've built because we can't confront what's right, right, right in front of us, right in front of us, what, what we're facing with our own human relationships or with our employment or, or, or with our families. And so, yeah, it's only eight years ago, but what's happened since 2011 technology wise. I mean, I've got four MacBooks in this office alone that I've bought in that past eight years. And those things are supposed to last forever, but like technology is just continuing to expand and we're using it more and more to escape. But then I also think there's a flip side and that is the value of technology in human relationships. I mean, Jonathan and I got drinks in June at an event in Phoenix because he shot me a message on Twitter because we know each other through Twitter. And then I was able to brag to all my little cousins that I had lunch with Ninja's brother and they thought I was the coolest person (laughs) in the world. And so like, I mean, like the internet built that friendship and I met my husband on Facebook, so I can't knock technology for those things. But if we use it as an escape, rather than as an on-ramp to better things, that's the problem. And I, I think Ready Player One shows those problems really, really well through this this fictional story. Yeah, I had to think through a lot of those same things as I was reading it, because over the last eight years, like my phone usage, my internet usage has just skyrocketed, like especially mm-hmm. with the, the kind of work that we're doing. And that's an excuse for a lot of my time on it, right? Like I, I do need to use it more for work and for the show and all, for all those things, but it's not an excuse for the the many, many other hours that I put in every day. 
And same thing. I met John in an airport. He bought me a drink, and now he's a co-host on my show. Like, we met on the internet. Father Anthony Sharapa, I met on the internet. Three out of my four co-hosts I met on the internet. And, like, those are, like, real relationships that I have in my life now. And so there are good things that come from this, and there's also these negative things. And as I was reading Ready Player One, I was like, seeing a lot of myself and like my tendencies because like you the the big word you use katie was escape and like so often there's like that healthy kind of unplug and relaxation to like play video games or to like you know just scroll through twitter and interact with people on instagram or whatever but there's also this like complete checkout where john and i earlier talked about like the fight or flight and how like one of my big things spiritually is like if things are going haywire i flee and i go and i watch Netflix or I essentially plug into something else, right? Where I don't really have to deal with it. I can relax and then come back and deal with it later. Some of that's healthy. Some of it's not. So I saw a lot of these tendencies in myself where John, where you were talking about like, should we even do this? And it's like, I could see myself getting caught into this whole oasis thing if it was real. So there are some like real pitfalls in this. So Tommy and I recently established a rule. We moved at the end of May. And the the nature of my job is such that like I could easily bring my computer to the couch and just work. Like even with all the family noise around, like while dinner's being cooked or with the TV on while Rose is watching Daniel Tiger, like I could just churn out the stuff that I needed to churn out because a lot of it is just communicating via email or crafting slide decks, whatever it is. And we established a rule when we moved to the new house, no computers outside the office, because it's so easy to just get sucked into the screen and to completely disregard what's going on around us. And then we extended the rule to in the first like 30 minutes to 45 minutes that Tommy gets home from work, no phones. That's time where we just, we make a drink, we sit down, we talk, we actually have a conversation face to face, we play with Rose. And sometimes like after that 30, 45 minutes is done, I'll like just leave my phone wherever it is. And two things happen. One, I feel just so free from the noise. But then two, and this is weird, but like as millennials, like I think sometimes like we have to give ourselves rewards <laughs> to do good things. <laughs> at least how I operate. So it's like the longer I wait to check it, the more payoff there's going to be later on because there's going to be all these notifications there. And then I can have like my 15 minutes where I scroll through and I look at everything and then I can be done again. And so like, I guess what I'm saying is in order for the internet to be a place that's wholesome and good, we have to set boundaries, limits, and recognize what it's used for rather than let it use us. Um, and again, I, I think this book tells that story and, and talks about this. I and mean, uh, spoiler alert to those of you that haven't read it at the end, like he has the chance to blow it all up. And I think, like, I think I would have pushed the big red button. And like, I kind of wanted him to, but I also kind of love that it like kind of left it open ended and that there hasn't been a sequel because like maybe he does eventually. And like, wherever this world is, like maybe he blew it all up and he gave people this chance to be human again. And I love that. Yeah. yeah. So here's, here's my question then for you. Cause I've only, I've only watched the movie and even then it was like, while I was at my parents' house and other things are going on and I really liked it. And I remember liking it, but was there anyone in that movie or in the book that like actually used the Oasis appropriately? I don't think so. Um, I think maybe initially when it was first created, I think it could have been a place where the ideals of the and the creator's name is escaping me right now, but like where his dream and his vision for what it could be, if people hadn't misconstrued it, but human nature and concupiscence is thus that I think it always would have been misused, just like the internet, right? Like the mm -hmm. internet began as a thing for the military, and now it's filled with horrible stuff. <laughs> um, I will give Wade Watts a little bit of a pass because his, his regular real life was just so crappy, right? Like for him as a kid who was 
in the worst possible scenario with no family and no support system and no real access to anything better, it was a place for him to go to school. It was a place for him to kind of escape those horrible things about his life. And so I think he used it as best he could. Gotcha. Uh, but but yeah, it does also give that awful that snapshot of just the depravity of human nature when given access to every piece of information and every way to destroy others, um, which is you know a lesson for all of us. Well, after saying that, you might be invited to speak at Google, and then they'll disinvite you. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm no Bishop Barrett. I there you go, uh, Katie. Thanks for joining us today. Obviously, we want people to go read Freddy Player One just because we think it's a great book, but we also want people to get connected with you on our version of the Oasis on the internet. How yeah. can how can they find you? We can we can uh, redeem the internet by just going and seeing what Katie's doing. I think so. Right? We can baptize the internet. Sometimes I post things that get me in hot water, but. That's okay. No, um, never. At, not you. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't take fights. At Katie Prejean on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Twitter, my hot takes. Instagram's pictures of my kid. So. Awesome. Well, thanks so much uh, for joining the show today. It's great to have you back. Uh, everybody else, we will be right back in a few minutes. Just John and I to talk about Christian leadership. Don't go anywhere. Hey, John, you have a beautiful beard. Have you ever used any of the old beer bomb? I love beard oil and beard bomb, Taylor. Yeah, well, I have some fantastic beard bomb from our friends over at Catholic Balm Co. They do not make bombs. That would be weird. I don't know how you would sell that on the free market. But they do sell balms for your beard. And if you are a woman, I mean... Uh, you may have a beard, too, and you can use the bomb. I don't care, but you probably don't, and you can use the lotions for your hands and for your t- toes. I don't know where people use lotion because I sweat too much and I can't use lotion, but I use the beard balm. You can buy a chapstick. One time, chapstick saved me. Literally saved my life. Ooh. John, remember that time that you saved my life when I fell off the seesaw? Yep, yep. Picked you up, put you right back on it. I'm so very happy. It's why I'm forever indebted to and you. And I got beard balm all over me. You sure did. That's why I slipped off, actually. <laughs> I had too much lotion and beard balm on. So everybody go to ForteCatholic.com slash beard. You can get a percentage off. I think it's like 11. Yes, it is 11. Turn it to 11. ForteCatholic.com slash beard. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. I am here with John Blevins, who is doing something very strange. John. I'm a magician, Taylor. Don't you know this? What were you doing? You were holding a piece of paper with a strange symbol in front of your mouth. Yeah, ready? See it? See it? I'm going to make it float. John, you. this is the second <laughs> time today you have shown something to people as they listen on their radio or their podcast. <laughs> that was for you and you alone. <laughs> It's me alone. <laughs> My up is fouled. That's heretical. And the second time I've sang that song. So we're just Perfect. doing things in twos today, like Noah. Okay. Um, Noah was not the greatest of leaders. We know that from scripture because he drank too much. But we're going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a few months ago, for the, the listeners who uh, are super dedicated, so not John, uh, I, I talked about uh, it was it was after a conference that I went to where I had really kind of been introduced to Barnabas for the first time in my life uh, because he's not this huge leader. Like when you think of the early church, John, who do you think of as like the big name leaders? Jesus, Peter, 
Moses. <laughs> Moses. <laughs> Moses was a great leader. Well, to be fair, Moses was in the within the early church for a brief moment of the transfiguration. So we'll let it <laughs> See, slide. Come on, dude. We yeah. got this. So like but not Barnabas. Paul. Paul. Mary. Not Barnabas. Literally not Barnabas, right? So yeah. I talked about it a while back, but then like it kind of stuck with me. And this whole like idea of Barnabas and what he did kept getting its claws in me, kind of kept coming back. And then so like a, a week or two ago, I went to spiritual direction and my spiritual director was like, this keeps coming up. Like you need to do something about it. So for once in my life, I was obedient to someone and I went and bought this book. I went and found this book called The Barnabas Way and I started listening to it this weekend. And it's essentially this, this the whole premise of it is that Barnabas might have been the, I mean, other than Jesus, like human, 100% human people in the early church, right? <laughs> humans only. Human, humans only. So uh, he might have been one of the, one of the most, if not, if not the most influential leader in the early church. Because like, you know, Peter did great things. He was the first pope. He also had a few flaws. Like we hear about that in Acts, like when he made some mistakes. Paul, like I think of Paul all the time. He wrote a third of the New Testament uh, yeah. was a missionary to all of these places, was a martyr for the faith, like all these great things. But Paul would not have existed. I mean, he would have existed as a human person, but he, he, would, he wouldn't have ever had this platform or this influence on the early church if it wouldn't have been for Barnabas stepping up for him to the 12 apostles when Paul was brought to, brought to the 12. And they were like, we don't want to see this guy. Like he's been killing all of our friends. I don't want to see him. And then uh, I kind of talked briefly about like Barnabas essentially puts his neck on the line for Paul and says, I trust him, even though he has killed literally some of my friends, I'm going to be a model of Christian forgiveness and step up for this guy and say, he's going to do the great things for the church. And as we saw that happened. And then later on, he's traveling with Paul and Paul is with, there's a third guy named John Mark and Paul doesn't want to take him on because he's he's made some mistakes as well. And Barnabas is essentially like, "Look, I did this for you. I'm going to do it for John Mark too." Like, I, and John Mark ended up writing the Gospel of Mark. And like, so he took these two great leaders, Paul and John Mark, who who together wrote one of the four Gospels and a third yeah. of the New Testament. And essentially, like, he was the leader behind those guys. And it's just like it's blowing my mind. And like you, John, are in a position of Christian leadership. And you've been, like you told me right before we started recording, that you've been studying this stuff and growing in these things. So like what what is Christian leadership to you? And like what's the biggest thing about it that like what do you think is the biggest thing you need to be a Christian leader? Ooh, this is a good and deep thought-provoking question. I think this is gonna and I feel like no matter what I say, it's gonna sound like of course that's the answer. Um I think that faith and humility are, are two of the absolute biggest. Um, if we, if we are creating a culture where we expect people to, to be able to disagree healthily, to have healthy conflict, to think about how we're going to evangelize and how we're going to share the faith. And we want all these, this culture to kind of change so that it's not gossipy backbiting, uh, to borrow from the life team, you know, missions, rule of life, uh, to fill the gap with, with trust with everyone we meet in ministry instead of filling the gap with suspicion. So if someone sends you an email, it's someone on my, not my team, but on staff. And they're like, we need to talk. Uh, it's like, Oh no, 
what did I do? <laughs> what could this be about? And we go and think of like the 10 horrible things that meeting could be about. And instead, like if you just fill the gap with trust, we don't know the missing information that isn't there, but just trust our Christian brothers and sisters that it's going to be a good thing and not fill it with anxiety. And I think in order to do that as a Christian leader, you have to have your own faith life where you're praying and you're growing and you're constantly resting in, in who God is, but then also you're humble so that you can accept when there's disagreement or conflict. Um, and so you're leading by example and you're, be, you're able to, to be approached uh, so that we can continue to make things about the gospel because it isn't about us, right? It's about, it's about leading people to Jesus. And so we have to check ourselves at the door if we want to grow. Oh, that's perfect. It, it's interesting that you brought up trust. Like we didn't talk about this before. And uh, one of the things that when I was reading this book, I'm like a third of the way through it right now. Uh, he says that to, t- to earn this trust that we desperately need in leadership, uh, we need four things. And I thought the four things were pretty interesting. Some of them like seem self-explanatory, but if any of these one things is off, then we're not going to earn people's trust and therefore not going to be a strong Christian leader. It's, he said integrity, confidence. It was interesting. He said confidence, but I thought he said competence. So we're going to talk about <laughs> like uh, he he ended, inevitably talked about those two things being kind of linked, uh, transparency and consistency. So I was doing a little bit of self-reflection in this and I was like, okay, integrity, like for the most part, yes, I, I, like I have my, you know, quote unquote favorite sins that not everybody knows about, but like my spiritual director, my confessor, like this, the correct amount of people know about that. That's the whole transparency (laughs) thing, right? Like not everybody needs to know everything, but being open about decisions, that's the transparency, but like the integrity piece, it's like for the most part, when, when, when people think they're going to get Taylor, when Taylor comes in the room, they get Taylor. Like everybody, like that's, it's one of the things that I actually have going for me is I'm not uh, radio Taylor and youth minister Taylor and husband Taylor. Like I'm the same dummy everywhere I go. So I've got that <laughs> going for me. Um, the confidence uh, and competence that that's really interesting because he actually said confidence, but we can't be confident unless we are competent. And people yeah. can't be confident in us unless we are competent in the things that we're trying to do. Like you and I both work in youth ministry. Like people look to you, people look to me because we've been doing this for a long time and I'm pretty confident that I know what I'm doing. Um, and then consistency. Like this is the one that I think I struggle with the most. Like I think this is my biggest like hole in these four things because I think as I was doing some reflecting over the, this last uh, few days – I like to be the hero. Like I like to come into a situation as a leader and like fix something and like be the like knight in shining armor that saved the day. But yeah. like on a random Thursday in the middle of the week, I might not be doing my best work. Like I do my best work in the moment, but in the planning and the preparing and all those things, like I can fall through and I've lost some trust in my leadership over the past few years in times where I wasn't consistently bringing my best to the table. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, so of these four things, I, ironically enough, this is going to sound very strange, John, but on my drive to Houston that I talked about earlier to go celebrate my sister's birthday, I, on the way there, I listened to about an hour and a half to two hours of this leadership book. And then yep. on the way back to like get some relaxing time, I listened to a Star Wars book called Thrawn. Have you, are you a Star Wars guy? 
No, one of my one of my more hotter takes is that I think in general it's kind of overrated. Oh my gosh! Well, <laughs> for another podcast, that's that's two weeks in a row that we've had hot takes on movies. I said last week that I thought Rocky One One was stupid, and you don't like Star Wars, so we have two <laughs> movies we think are overrated. But um, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And I'm reading this book called Thrawn. It's essentially a contemporary of Darth Vader and almost the exact opposite of him. Like, okay. you know, where Vader is like all about, you know, he's all emotion and, and raw power and uh, and all these things. And, and Thrawn is this ca- completely calm, zero emotion, always calculated, like all uh, and like he grows in the leadership in the Empire, which is the bad guys. Right. And I was thinking about yeah. it because like. Thrawn is known as one of the best leaders of all time or like in the Star Wars universe like he is like it's it's ridiculous and one of the things that happens in this book is that you get to essentially know the thoughts that are going on in his head so essentially like this conversation that you and I are having right now John okay. like we we can see each other even though nobody else can and you haven't seemed to figure that out yet but <laughs> But like we can see each other, we can see these social cues, but essentially every time, if I was Thrawn, every time I stopped talking and you were talking, what the book reader is hearing is what you are saying one sentence and then what Thrawn is like, I'm observing you, I'm watching how you're reacting. He's essentially reading you to know how to manipulate you and get what he wants. And it's like, wow, 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 wow. So powerful leader, but when it comes to like, he's not transparent. Because he's he's literally saying things to manipulate, which means he's also doesn't have this integrity. He's yeah. absolutely confident, absolutely has con- competence, and he also has this consistency. Like he's the same all the way through. And I was yeah. like, this is crazy because like just like myself, I have this huge hole that's holding me back from being the best Christian leader. And he was literally evil, and he had these holes too, even though he did two tremendously. So, like, if any of these are missing, it means that we can't be truly a great leader. Yeah, that's that's actually fascinating. And all four together would make you a great leader and a great holy leader, right? Even right, which is cool. Yeah, and I, I think there's there's a there's something to say about that. That like you know, and we've talked about leadership in the past on the show, and we 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 talked about how there is a difference between what a leader like in the secular world, which would be like Thrawn's job, right? Yeah. Um, and a Christian leader, but if you are a good Christian leader, you you will be and can be a good leader in the secular world. It, it's interesting how like essentially what God has has laid out what a good leader is will work in the real world, but being a leader that is manipulative and trying to get your own way, which often works in the secular world, doesn't work so well if you're a Christian. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. I think, man, that is. I like this. What's this book called? It's called The Barnabas Way. Um, you're going to tell a story so I can pull up the uh Okay, the, great. The, the, Barnabas Way. the Barnabas Way. I like this. Um, it's, man, it's just fascinating. I think that you have to be consistent like through and through. Like you're saying, that word consistency keeps sticking out because what, what's been huge for me in this last year is I've really taken leadership way more seriously. And Joel Stepanek is is just huge. He's been a guest on the show huge in leadership. And so we talk a lot about it and and I admire him a lot and the ways that he's a good Christian leader. But we talk about like the, th- the thing that's really transformed me this last year is seeing that I'm a leader everywhere I go and not just at work. Uh, like I'm a, like, I've never really thought about how am I as a leader with my family? 
or how like as the head of like my household or how am I as a leader with my friend group or on stream or like in all of the different things instead of just like how am I a leader at work and that has like transformed you know my life in a lot of really cool ways this past year is looking at everything I do with the through the eyes of being a good leader and it's helped me be a better husband a better dad a better friend um so this is does that, that consistency is key yeah for sure and like there's a quote in here that like matches up completely with what you're saying by the way it's by isaac smithia s-m-y-t-h-i-a he says that christian leadership is not a jacket you put on and take off depending on the situation that presents itself it's the outward expression of who you are on the inside it flows from your beliefs your value and your character and for so long like when i got started working in in ministry like in leadership like I would put the the church jacket on and take it off when I left. Put the church jacket on, take it off yep. when I left. And like over the past ten years, but like even more, uh, more intensely over the last four years that I've been here at a blaze, where I've had somebody mentoring me in leadership. Like there's not a jacket anymore. Like I'm I don't have a shirt on. I don't know what the analogy is. But <laughs> <laughs> he does have a shirt on though. Just so you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really strange if I didn't. But. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you that you mention Joel because one of the things that Life Teen and people like Focus are are always trying to do is like essentially multiply the work that we are doing, and uh, like this this is what's so interesting. Like I, you know, I talked about like kind of that hero complex a lot. Like especially when it comes to like ministry events, it's like for a long time, like I wanted to be the the person in front, and like I still have the opportunity to be that person like to, you know to speak or do music or whatever but like i love doing both is essentially like and i'm and i'm i'm fine doing both is essentially where i sit now like i have skills and 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 gifts that can help in either one i don't really need either one um i'll serve wherever i'm needed and there's some obedience in that but one of the things that he said that like really like put it into words for me was that for the entirety of jesus's ministry he was pouring into the apostles preparing them to lead for when he was no longer there like he's human and God. Like he knew he he came here for a purpose to teach us how to live and to, to die for our sins. Like he knew that he was going to die and he was preparing the apostles the entire time. And I think that's been a huge hole in my leadership is like, I've prepared people enough to do their job. If I'm somewhere close that I can, that I can be of assistance, not I'm going to leave or die at some point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that is huge. And to, I can speak to, to Joel's ability to do that. He was my director of youth ministry when I was his edge coordinator at his la- the parish he was at before life team. And he prepared me to take his spot. And because of that taught me to prepare the people at my last two places to, to take my spot, or at least to do what they were doing without me there. And it's hard because it really is a humble thing. And you're essentially working to the point where you're not needed. Um, but it's also like, that is how we're going to multiply um, effective parishes and, and ministries. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And amen. That brings us to the amen. close of our conversation for today. But, uh, John, we haven't talked about your stuff in a while. How can people get connected to you? Because you're awesome. Thanks, man. Bearded Blevins, bearded Blevins, all one word on Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, all that good stuff. But Twitter is my favorite of those five or four things. It is fun. And you can always follow me at Taylor Troll at Forte Catholic on the Instagram, the Twitters, Facebook. All that is at ForteCatholic.com. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in today. John, thanks for spending some time with me this afternoon. You are beautiful. You are loved. You are balding. That is all that we have <laughs> for today. So, guys, thank you so much. 
for tuning in. I will be back next week. John won't, but you come on back and we'll have a fantastic party. See ya! John. Yeah. How much money do you make on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch? A month. How much money? Do, what? Yes. How much money do you make? In, in life? To, what, what is your yearly salary? How much do you make from <laughs> Discord? How much money do you make? What is happening? Uh, uh, th- these are the kind of questions you can only get answered on patreon.com slash Forte Catholic, where you can get all the bonus content. And it's also where you can help me feed my children, because I don't make quadrillion dollars like Mr. John Blevins over here by playing video games. Like, oh my gosh, are you like wasting your life? What are you it doing? I, I, well, if I was as cool as you, I would. I, every time I stream, I have one person watch. I was going to make another joke, but I'm not going to. John, <laughs> the people can go to patreon.com slash Forte Catholic. They can get the sync cards that we talked about earlier in the show. They can also get all kinds of bonus content, literally hours and hours and hours of more content. John, you have to go feed your children and your wife. Save your marriage. Goodbye. I love you. Goodbye. I love you too. <laughs>